0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. Uh, we're continuing our series today on uh, the book of Ephesians, and so we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, last week, Kim did a wonderful job in bringing the Word. I'm so appreciative of her doing that. And um, And let me say something for the record. Uh, last week, I understand that she said that uh, that I was around the house and that I didn't help much with laundry or the uh, housework. And I would like to confirm that I did not help much with anything. That was last week? I just hung out and took naps every day. So really, I don't know how much that's different than normal, but it's okay. Um, but no, I had a I had a great um, mini sabbatical, and I appreciate our leadership, the board, and the staff uh, being flexible and allowing me to be away because uh, I I needed it, and I'm not in bad place, so don't wor- don't worry, I'm not wearing out or wearing thin, uh, but uh, I just needed a break, and thankfully I've got somebody in my life who called me out and said. Basically, you're an idiot if you don't take some time off and say, "Okay, okay, you got it. I'm going to take some time off." So uh, that's what I've I've did this last week. So um, we'll pick it up tonight in Ephesians chapter four, verse seventeen. And uh, if you want, you can turn in your Bible if you maybe you're a college student and you don't know what a Bible is, look at your iPhone or your mobile device and you can find scripture on there. It's easy. We'll start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 tonight. It says this, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Um, and so we see this theme throughout the New Testament. Uh, we see it in Pauline scriptures. Anything that Paul writes, you see this, that Paul is instructing the Ephesian church that something needs to shift in them because of their relationship with Christ. Now, sometimes we get this backwards, and we think, uh, because I'm a Christian, now I have to, I I can't do the fun things I used to do, and I've gotta make myself do this. But really what Paul is saying is, is if we're in genuine community with Christ, in relationship with Christ, uh, something comes alive in our hearts that longs to come into alignment with Scripture. Um, that that longs to come into alignment with God's purposes and plans for our lives. So it's not that we have to make ourselves do these things. There's some things we do work through. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit leads us into a deeper walk with Christ. And so what he's saying here, in in a real sense, is um, that, that we have to stop acting like we used to act. See, the truth is there's a lot of people who attend church, and they don't act any different than the way they used to act, except now they just have to come to church. They just are busier on the weekends than they used to be. And there should be more that changes in our life whenever we encounter Christ than just simply church attendance. It should transform us. Um, there was a guy when I was in college um, uh, that um, I got to know, and he was a Christian. He was a youth pastor at a church. And, man, he was a great guy. And this was, this guy, uh, he was a former collegiate golfer and one of the top golfers in America in high school, and I found that out afterwards, and he laid that down. He was on the golf team at the University of Oklahoma, and he felt called to ministry. He had gotten saved, felt called to ministry, and he laid it down, walked away from a scholarship to OU, and went into ministry, and so that's all I knew of this guy, and about a year later, there was a a young man that I went to high school with that also played college golf, and he and I were talking, and I said, hey, do you know, and I named this guy by name, and he said, yeah, do you know what? I saw that guy recently, and he is totally different. He said, I couldn't even believe it was the same guy. Did you know he quit playing golf at OU? I said, Yeah. And he said, He doesn't even drink or curse or anything anymore. Can you believe that? I was like, I know, it's crazy. But what he was saying is, He is not the same person he used to be. And it wasn't just behavioral, it was something had changed in his heart. And so many times we focus on the behavioral, but what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church is, Hey, everything has to change. We can't be the same people we were before. We have to fundamentally think act and talk differently than we did before and it's the Holy Spirit at work in us that does the work. It's not us who does the work. So he says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and then he describes it and he says in the futility of their minds because what we do so many times uh, is we try to justify and rationalize and understand things and we have no ability to truly understand our world. Uh, We have no ability to truly understand why we go through the things we go through, why we have the difficulty we have and the challenges we have Um, and, and so what we try to do is rationalize it and think through it. But at the end of the day, if we justify things based on what makes sense to us or what feels comfortable to us, we're going to constantly live in this place in the futility of our minds, walking as the Gentiles walk, walking as we used to walk, uh, because that does not align with what God wants for our lives. And so Paul says, you can't live that way anymore. You have to submit your heart to Christ and let him bring you into alignment. So he says, um, in the futility of their minds, and then he describes it further in verse 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity there's a word in here that's interesting. He says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. So what's happened is he uses this word alienated. And uh, when we use the, the word alien in the United States, it's got a connotation to it, unfortunately. And it's not talking about space aliens, um, that, that it, it brings up all kinds of feelings and emotions in people. When we talk about aliens. But what Paul was doing is he understand the Ephesian church uh, was It was governed by Rome, and so it was Roman citizens, and they took pride in their heritage. They took pride in their nationality. And so what Paul was doing is using language that helped them understand uh, there's something that supersedes our our nationality, and that's our spirituality. So I'm a a citizen of the United States, but there's something that supersedes that. I'm a citizen of heaven even more than I am a citizen of the United States. And so he's talking to a group of people who took such pride in their nationality, and he uses the word alienated because he, he, helped, he wants them to understand if they were no longer part of that nation anymore, they were separated, they were alienated. And so he uses this word to describe what happens whenever our minds and hearts are darkened to the Lord. We're alienated from the kingdom of God. And this is language they would definitely understand because of who they were in the context of the time. So he says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of what? Ignorance that is in them. We'll spend a little bit more time in this. There's a few verses that tie together. We'll wrap it all up. But ignorance is so so funny. Ignorance. What alienates us from the kingdom of God? Ignorance. Just not knowing God. Um, There's a word we talked about during week two of the series and it was this word knowledge, and in the Greek it's epignosis, and epignosis means a knowledge that is attained through experience. So it's an experiential knowledge. So it's not just knowing something, but it's knowing something because we've experienced it. So it's not just something I've learned in a book, but it's something I've walked out and understood. And so what Paul is saying is um, we're alienated from the kingdom of God whenever our heart has never truly experienced God. It's easy for us to be pulled away and alienated by, by other things. Then um, it says, the ignorance that is in them, now listen to this, due to their hardness of heart. So the ignorance is due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Um. You know what, let let me tie this in when we get down a little further. Verse 20 says this, But that is not the way you learn Christ. So he draws this line in the sand. He said, this is how you used to be, but this is how you should be. He said, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So he he says we put off the old self, who we used to be, and we put on the new self. And there's this 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 image that's painted and it's interesting my wife uh before we moved here kim had a counseling practice in oklahoma city and she does not practice counseling anymore so don't get any ideas uh but she had this counseling practice and because of the hepa laws she she wouldn't come home and tell me all the stuff and so man she would come home and she would hear terrible stuff and she was working through people's grief and pain and sorrow and all these things and sometimes it'd be kids and so she's working through this stuff with people and she'd come home and she'd just be like Oh my gosh, just heavy. And, and she was talking to her mentor one day and her mentor, her supervisor said, hey, you know what? When you get home, change your clothes. She said, what? And she said, change your clothes. When you get home, take off your work clothes and put on some different clothes before you do anything else, do that. And she said, okay. She started doing it. And what she realized is when she would change her clothes, her mind would shift. It would allow her to shift her thinking a little bit. And there was something about it, the physical action of changing clothes, taking the old clothes off and putting on the new clothes that helped shift her mindset and her thinking. And I'm telling you today, Paul understood when he said, hey, put off the old self and put on the new self. What he's saying is you need to physically take off your old clothes and put on the new clothes. It's not just something that happens magically, but it's something we say, okay, you know what? I'm conscientiously going to enter into a covenant with God that I'm going to allow him to work in my heart and change my heart, um, that, that I'm going to submit to him the things that need to be submitted uh, so that he can make the difference, so he can make the change. But there's something that shifts there when we submit those things to God. I told you before, um, Paul wrote four epistles while he was in prison in Rome. And Ephesians was one of them. Uh, Colossians was another one of them. And I want to read this passage to you in Colossians. So so the themes are similar throughout. You see some similar themes that are kind of woven throughout these four epistles. Uh, In Colossians chapter three, verse eight, it says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Did you hear that? He says, we put off our old self with its practices. So again, he's talking about, hey, we're making this shift from who we were to who we are and who God wants us to be. And part of that is saying, hey, I'm putting off my old self. I'm making the decisions I need to make to to put the old self away. And then I'm going to let God do the work to help create the new me. It goes on in verse 10 of Colossians 3, and it says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, I mentioned this earlier. The word we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 when we saw knowledge, this epignosis, is the same word that's used here in Colossians chapter 3. And it's this epignosis, this knowledge that's gained through experience. So when we experience who God is and we get to know God, it changes us fundamentally. Um. I'm so glad you're attending church. I really am. This is a great place to be. But if you think showing up to church on a Saturday night or or watching online or showing up on a Sunday morning is gonna change your life, I've got bad news for you. It will not. What will change your life is having an intimate, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. That will change everything. That'll wreck your life. What you know now will be turned upside down when you have an epignosis experience with Jesus. Because my messages won't change your life. It won't. The music will not change your life. Jesus Christ will change your life. And that's the only thing that'll do it. It's the knowledge of who he is. It's this epignosis. Um, See, we saw in Ephesians 4, 18, it says, ignorance due to their hard hearts. And this is talking about unbelievers, but I want you to know something. I believe that believers, people who are saved and going to heaven, can fall into this category. I think people can get a hard heart. It mentions in the next verse uh, calluses, that their hearts are calloused. How how do you get calluses? This is your portion. You can talk out. It's okay. Work, right? It happens through friction, doesn't it? So guys that work with their hands a lot, their hands become calloused. Some of our guitar players, if you looked at their fingers, their fingers are all, they got calluses on the end of their fingers from where they play the guitar. Why? It's because the friction, the rubbing. Ladies, some of you, you saw those heels that were on sale, right? And you're like, I know they're a half size too small, but it's okay, <laughs> the pain is worth it. And you wedge your feet into those heels and you get a callous and you're like, I don't care, it's worth it, what happens? Well, it's the rubbing, right? It's the friction that causes a callous. And what happens is, as believers, I, I think our hearts, uh, we come into contact with pain, with difficult circumstances, with, with, with heartache, with betrayal. And before we know it, our heart is being rubbed against this, this issue. There's friction, there's tension, there's pressure. And before we know it, our heart becomes calloused. Our heart becomes hard. And what happens when we get a hard heart is we see this, according to Scripture, is that we become ignorant. We don't lose the knowledge of who God is. I think we can forget who God is, if that makes sense. My wife is wonderful, and she is gracious, and I do not deserve her. And there are times that I will say things to her or do things that are insensitive or I'll say things that are thoughtless, and I'm so grateful because what she will do is she will say, um, and she won't say this out loud, but we've been married long enough that we have a track record, we know each other, and she'll say, you know what? I know my husband, and I know what he's like, and that is not like him. I know he would never intentionally hurt me. I know he would never intentionally say something to degrade me or undermine me. I know, this, I know that's not who he is. So in spite of what I see, I believe the best. And, and this is just this is a side note for marriages, for relationships. This is a key to good relationships, by the way, is extending the benefit of the doubt and extending grace, even when the, the, the evidence seems to indicate you shouldn't. And this is what we have to do with God sometimes because our hearts get hardened and we see situations and we go, God, if you were really good, if you really loved me, why would you let this happen? Why would you let our finances look this way? Why would you let my marriage get to this place? Why would you let me be alone? Why would you let, right? And what happens is our heart begins to be a little hardened if we're not careful. Begins to be calloused because of the the friction. But if we'll step back, if we've truly had an experience with God, an experiential knowledge who God is, we can step back and take a deep breath and go, okay, you know what? This is what I see. I see my circumstances stink. And it seems desperate and it seems hopeless. But what do I know about my God? I know he's brought me through before. I know he's good. I know he gave his son for me. I know that he would do anything for me. So I don't know why I'm in this situation I'm in. I don't know why the circumstances look like they do. But I choose to believe the best about who God is and what he wants to do in my life. And this is a way that we can combat a hard heart in our lives. This is a way that we can combat uh, the friction causing a callous on our heart. See, Tension and friction is not necessarily a bad thing. Friction does lots of good things. Um, One of the things I did this week, um, I'm a dumpster diver. Does anybody know that? I'm a dumpster diver. I got no problem with it. I'm proud. The best dumpsters to dive in, I live right across from Calvary Presbyterian and Greystone Presbyterian. Those Presbyterians throw away lots of good stuff. (laughs) That piano. I got out of the dumpster at Greystone Presbyterian. I called Todd and we wheeled it out of the dumpster because I was like, we're saving that thing. We did. So about six months ago, I was driving home and I drive by Calvary Presbyterian and there's this desk sitting out on the curb and it was an old 1950 style metal desk and I was like, I was trying to find something like that. I was wanting to redo the top, you know, do a wood top on top, do something. I was just trying to get creative. The Pinterest in me was bursting. And so I was trying to figure out what am I gonna do? And I pulled up and I see this desk and I'm like, okay. So I parked at my house and I walked over. I'm like, man, this whole desk is here. The whole thing is here. It doesn't look bad. And I was like, but it's missing the screws. That's okay. I can find the screws later. So I I pulled my car back around, I'm loading this desk up and I get to the drawer, the last drawer and in the drawer, it has all the screws. And I'm like, Jesus, thank you. Like, whoa hallelujah chorus like yeah so this week I uh, I decided I'm putting this desk together and so man I, I get this desk out and it is gross I mean it is got some rust and scratches and it's been beat up on, on the bottom of the desktop it has stamped July 1952 and so if you were born in the 50s I'm not saying you're old at all okay so don't take me wrong but this thing had, had some mileage on it okay and so uh before I put it together, I took off the hardware and I sanded it down, and I took sandpaper, and that sandpaper's rough, right? But you run the sandpaper over it and it begins to smooth off all the edges. It begins to make rough things smooth and this is what God does in our hearts. sometimes we we feel this this friction come our way, and we go, no, "No, no, this has to be bad." And I think God can either use friction in us, and we can allow friction to make us callous or we can Submit it to God and allow him to, to take that friction and smooth us out and to take out some rough places in our lives. So don't, don't reject friction in your life. Embrace the friction, but don't allow your heart to be hardened when it comes. When you do that, you're going to be able to walk in that knowledge of who God is, and you're going to be able to walk through that season. It won't be easy, but you're going to be able to walk through it back to Ephesians verse 4 uh, chapter 4 verse 25 it says therefore having put away falsehood again uh, our enemy the devil is the father of lies the father of falsehood so he's the one who's going to tell you god can never love you god he's the one who's going to tell you all the lies that you believe about yourself you're not you're not Lovely. You're not beautiful. You can never be loved. You're not smart enough. They're going to find out you're a fraud in this job you've got because you're not supposed to be there. You're going to believe all those things if you're not careful. So what Paul is saying is, hey, put away all those falsehoods, all those things that you shouldn't be believing, that, that you hear from the enemy, put them away. Put them where they belong. Um, my girls, <laughs> they, 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 they like clean clothes, apparently. They like them so much, they don't put them away ever. They will leave them out. They will, they will move the clean clothes from the bed onto the floor and sleep, and then move the clean clothes onto the bed. Or they leave them out so they can access them at any point in time, I think. Um, and so they love clean clothes. They just don't know how to put them away. And what they have to do is take the clean clothes and put them where they belong, right? It's unfortunate when the dirty and the clean begin mixing, and then it's a mess. It's a mess. What do you do? You put the things where they belong. And what do you do with the falsehoods that we believe? You put them where they belong. They don't belong in your life. But yet we we apply them and put them on a shelf and on a mantle. and this is where this belongs because this is who I am. And what Paul's saying to the church is put away the falsehood. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What he's saying is we are one body, so we speak truth to each other. And I've talked about this before. We speak truth in love to each other. We don't just speak truth. We don't just speak love. We speak truth in love. Uh, there was a, a pastor of a church uh, in the Cincinnati area. Um, he'd written a bunch of books. His name was Warren uh, Wiersbe. And, and he said truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. So we don't just tell truth. And we don't just show love. We tell truth in love. And so it'll bring correction. It'll bring restoration. So this is what Paul's saying to do. You speak truth with your neighbor, with the people around you. You're honest with them and you walk through difficult things together because we're members of the same body. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know, how in the world do you do that? Be angry and do not sin? Well, there's a couple things I would tell you here. Number one Uh, I think there's a holy righteous anger that that we can have. Uh, And if you don't believe me, if you think all anger is inherently sinful, you have to understand that you're saying God is sinful at times, and he's not. There are things that God gets angry about because it's a justice thing. He sees people marginalized, he sees people forgotten about. In in the New Testament you see orphans and widows are being neglected, and, and I believe God got a little ticked off with the church and said, take care of your business. Um, So what we have to do as Christians is say, okay, what what are the things that God gets angry about? And those are the things that I need to prioritize a little more highly. (laughs) I'm just totally gonna get in your business right now. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. (laughs) Do you know what God doesn't care about? The outcome of the Steelers game this weekend. I've got family members who lose their salvation over whether the University of Oklahoma wins or loses a football game. God doesn't care. Do you know what else he doesn't care about? Whether your child is an all-star or not in their league. He doesn't care. Does he care about your child? Absolutely. Does he care if your child's on the travel all-star team? No. It does not make any difference to God. Do you know what God does care about? Injustice. He cares about the people who are marginalized and forgotten about in our world. And if I, if I care more about the success of my child, which again I want my child to be successful, but if if I get angry about that more than I get about the things that angry about the things that God gets angry about, I've got to question my own priorities. If I get angrier at a football game or a athletic event that I do about the things that God gets angry about, I've, I've got to question my own heart, my own priorities. <laughs> so he says, be angry and do not sin. Um, he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. <laughs> it's funny. I've heard people say, I've heard that verse. So uh, we just stayed up all night. You know, we just stayed angry all night long. We didn't go to sleep. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's the heart of that. What it's saying is, um, if I allow a root or a seed of anger to get planted in my heart, it's going to bring forth a harvest. And if I don't nip that in the bud immediately, it's going to bring forth bitterness and pain and hate and anger and all these things. And so what Paul's telling the Ephesian church, and this is in the context of the church, Uh, it works in your marriage, it works in your workplace, but he says, if you've got a problem with somebody, don't don't think about it for day after day after day after day. Don't do that. You fix it quickly. You nip it in the bud. You you get that seed out and make sure you take care of it. He said, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Take care of the issue sooner rather than later. Um, Many times those things don't go away on their own. They don't fix themselves. What happens is, uh, let's go back to the previous verse. Um, What happens is we just become calloused. There's a wound that happens. And we don't fix it. We just become calloused and our hearts get hard. And we think it's better. It's not. We're just calloused to the problem. So he says, uh, give no opportunity to the devil by, by hesitating, by waiting. Verse 28 Uh, let the thief no longer steal. And and we're we're in a portion now where he's giving direction to the church saying, hey, you you put away the old, you put on the new. So there should be a shift and a change. He said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And he goes on in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I love this because he talks about the thief, which seems like one of the big sins, right? Like that's one of the big 10, so we stay away from that one. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So it talks about the big sins, and it talks about the little sins, what we do with our mouth and all the little flippant things we say that aren't honoring or graceful or loving or caring. But we think, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just telling one person. And what you have to do is filter it and say, well, is what I'm saying, is it good for building up? Is it good for, for encouraging, for giving grace? Is it going to bless people or is it going to degrade people? And why am I telling people this? Is it so I look better? Verse 30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this is a verse that I think there's a lot of dispute. There's been a lot of people saying, oh, well, does it mean to grieve the, the Holy Spirit? And it sounds like such a big thing. Um, but I wanna walk through what I believe it really means, and I'm, I'm gonna make it really simple. Uh, the word grieve here, the original language in the Greek, uh, it's lupeo, and it, it's got a number of different meanings. The, the, most, uh, the most direct, strict interpretation means to cause sorrow or grief. Now, it can mean to offend, but when we think of offense, it's very different than the context of the first century church. Because when we think of offense, we think of someone saying something, and we're all righteous, and I can't believe they said that. I'm offended that they would even say such a thing. It's like, it wasn't even about you. I know, but I'm offended. I'm offended on their behalf, right? Well, we live in a state of offense. And what Paul is saying is not that the Holy Spirit, I can't believe they would act like that. I'm offended at these people. That's not what it is. Uh, What he's really trying to say is, it's like if you're a parent and you are a a believer in Jesus Christ and you've got a child who is not, who maybe they were raised in church but they've strayed away from God, um, you don't go, I can't believe you don't go to church. You're a terrible person. I'm offended that you wouldn't go to church, right? No, you pray for them. You pray for your kids. And, And in your quiet time, you're grieving, you're sad. You're not offended you're grieving. And what Paul is saying is, hey, don't do anything that's going to cause harm to the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything that's going to cause grief to the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what would that be? Well, I'll tell you. It's when Christians, people who claim to be Christians presume upon the grace of Christ. We say, "Uh, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church all the time. And then we say things like, well, I know I shouldn't do that, but it's no big deal. Oh, I know I shouldn't do that, but I'll just ask forgiveness later. Because what we're doing is presuming on the grace of Christ, the grace that he willingly gave us. And what we're doing is we're cheapening that gift, and I believe that breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit. It grieves him. and brings him sorrow. So when we, as believers, choose to live a lifestyle of sin, it breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying is, put away the old and put on the new. Stop living that way. Submit your heart to Christ. Really know who he is, and it'll change everything. The last two verses of this chapter, I'll finish up. It says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He said, put all these things where they belong. They don't belong in your life anymore. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He says, in the same manner in which God forgave you, that's how you are to forgive the people around you as well. Not just the people who love you, but the people who hate you. Not just the people who, who are on your fan club, but the people who maybe you're in tension with, friction with, it's just forgive them in the same way that you've been forgiven. Um, I love hearing Scott and Liz talk about what God is doing at IUP, because um, people would look at IUP and go, oh, the, those kids, they hate God. They've rejected God, and they haven't rejected God. Um, God's doing something there, and it's easy to look at our community and go, "Oh, you know what? Man, a lot of people here have rejected God. I don't think they have rejected God." Um, let me ask you this: Flu season's coming up, and we're a church that believes in healing. But I also know that uh, some of you get flu shots. Anybody get a flu shot? Oh, all of you lack faith. I can't. Believe- no, I'm just kidding. You don't. Uh, yeah, flu, we, we have flu shots. What is the flu shot? It's the flu. It's a small dose of the flu, right? It's a watered-down version of the flu. So what they do is they try, to, they try to predict what strain of the flu is going to be the most viral. And then years, literally, a year before, they will, they will put the vaccinations together. They water down the flu, And then they inject it. That's why they say you might have some symptoms from the flu. Now, you can't really get the flu from the flu because it's so watered down, but you can get some symptoms of what the flu is. And what it does is it inoculates you from the flu. So you shouldn't get the flu. And this is what I think has happened in our world. I think there are so many people who claim to be Christians who have had an experience with God. Maybe they came to church and they had a feeling or an emotion, but they never really knew God. Because church is part of their culture. They say, well, I was raised in church, or I was raised Catholic, or I was raised whatever it might be. They've, they've, They've seen it, but they've never really experienced it. And as a result, when they come into contact with people, they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. People go, oh, okay. But the problem is, It's not authentic. We haven't taken off the old and put on the new. And as a result, what's happening is people are being exposed to a watered-down version of Christianity. They're being exposed to a watered-down version of what it means to follow Jesus. And what happens is we become inoculated. So so you think IUP has rejected God? No, they haven't rejected God. you know what they've rejected? They've rejected watered-down version of Christianity. Because if they experience Jesus Christ... It would change everything. You think the people in your workplace have rejected God? They've rejected God. Maybe they're inoculated because they've experienced some watered-down version. But once they experience a true Jesus Christ in us, change everything. So my question to you today is: Have you taken off the old and put on the new? Have you walked in relationship with Jesus and really gotten to know who He is in such a way? That there's no denying your knowledge of who he is. It's not just a head knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. You've seen him work in your life. You've seen what he's done. You've experienced the intimacy and in, in a walk with him. Because that's what it takes to change the world. Church attendance doesn't change the world. It won't. Nobody is interested in just coming to church. They're interested in experiencing a living Jesus Christ. And the problem is so many of us we've had good intentions but we've watered down Christianity and we've exposed people to it and then we wonder why they're not interested in God. They're not interested in the God they see in us because it's some watered down version. They don't want that. They want the real thing because that will change everything. Is there- in Ephesians four eighteen, they were ignorant due to their hard hearts. They weren't evil. They just had a hard heart, and they were ignorant to who God was. And I'm telling you today, there are people in your workplace that are ignorant because of their hard hearts. There are people in your classes. There's people in your neighborhood. They're ignorant because they their hard hearts. They're not evil. They just need to be exposed to a Jesus who's real, who loves them. And we need to get out of the way and let him... Love them through us. So that's my challenge to you today. Have you taken off the old and put on the new? Do you really know Christ intimately? Like an epignosis knowledge or is it just a a head knowledge? Because if it's just a head knowledge, I'm telling you, what you're exposing the people around you to is really, it's good, but it's not going to change them. Let me pray with you. Lord, I love you so much. I'm so grateful that you didn't come just to make us comfortable. You didn't come just so we could go to heaven, but you came so that every life could be changed for your glory. So God, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers of the word as well. Lord, as we receive what you've done in our lives, God, I pray that we wouldn't just be recipients of your grace, but God, let us walk that out every day of our lives. So God, help us take off the old and put on the new. God, help us truly know you intimately. Give us a longing and a desire to know you. God, help us thirst for you, as your scripture says, just like we thirst for water after we've been working. Lord, after we're parched, after we've been out in the sun all day. God, let us thirst for you in the same way. And I pray that as we experience you, that would produce the thirst in the people around us as well. They would see you and long for you So, God, help us not propagate a watered-down version of who you are any longer. But, God, let people see the real you full of power and life flowing through us every single day. So, have your way among us, God. Speak in this place. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? I'm not a believer. I'm not really a follower of Christ. Maybe maybe you— have been going to church for a long time, maybe you've never been to church before tonight, whatever the case may be, if you're here and you say, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna really know him. I, I, I wanna know him in the way you were talking about. I wanna experience him tonight. I'm not gonna make you come forward or embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand real, uh, up real high where I can see it and say, pray for me, Mel? You can put it right back down. Is there anybody who would say, pray for me tonight, Mel? I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life tonight. Okay, maybe you're here tonight and you said, Mel, you know what, I, I'm a believer, but the truth is I think I've been propagating a watered-down version of who Jesus is and, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want people to see, really see Christ in me, a living, vibrant Christ. I, I, so help, I want to help putting off the old and putting on the new, really knowing Christ and showing that I need, I need that. I want that to be who I am. If that's you, would you be bold enough to just slip your hand up and let me pray for you? Yeah, yeah, a lot of you. Let me pray with you right now. Lord, I love you, and I'm grateful that, that you don't want us just to survive this life, but God, you want us to live an abundant life, God, and your idea of an abundance is very different than ours. So God, I pray tonight we would live an abundant life in you, that we would truly know you in such a way that it changes everything about who we are. Lord, let it change us, but let it in turn change the people around us as well. Lord, let it change our workplace, our schools. Lord, let it change uh, the people we run into in, in grocery stores, gas stations. God, let our whole world be made different because of what you're doing in our hearts tonight. Lord, let us not be satisfied with just the routine and just the religious actions. But God, let us, Lord, let us be connected to you in a way that we never have before. Let us know you in a way that we never have before. And as we know you, God, change us. Change our world and let it all be for your glory, God. God, I pray for people in this room to dig into their word, into the scripture like they never have before. And as they do, let them know you more intimately. God, I pray for people in this place to to pray more fervently and to hear from you in ways that they never have before. And because of that, they're going to know you more intimately, God. Lord, I pray that we would set aside time to worship you in our private life, God, whether it's on our way to work or whatever it might be, so that we could know you more intimately. So, Lord, have your way among us tonight. Be glorified among us, and we'll give you the praise for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, listen, this is what's going to happen right now. and the worship team are going to lead us in one final song. So we'll worship together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team is going to be available on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all tonight, as we sing this final song, I want to encourage you, step out from your seat as soon as we begin to sing and find one of our prayer team members. We would love the opportunity to agree with you about whatever you may be going through tonight. Maybe you've got somebody in your life that's dealing with something and you want to step in for them and uh, stand in to be prayed for. We're happy to pray with you about whatever need you may have before you leave tonight. And then in just a moment, when we finish singing, uh, Kim will come and uh, she'll close us out and share a couple things with you. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we tonight. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys.